Alright folks, this uh, episode covers warfarin pharmacology and then optimization of a warfarin therapy. Warfarin inhibits the vitamin K epoxide reductase and vitamin K reductase, and it has a long half-life, about 36 to 42 hours. As far as when we see the first dose's peak effect, that's going to be about 48 hours. This is important to keep in mind when we're adjusting doses, as the previous day's dose hasn't had time to make an impact on their INR. Warfarin is also metabolized by the CYP2C9 and CYP3A4 um, liver metabolism pathways. And we also have uh, multiple factors that it influences. So it influences clotting factor 7 with a half-life where clotting factor 7 has a half-life of 6 hours. Clotting factor 9, which has a half-life of 24 hours. Clotting factor 10, having a half-life of 40 hours. And lastly, clotting factor 2, with a half-life of 60 hours. Our indications for warfarin are going to be VTE prevention and treatment. And then also treatment for AFib, mechanical heart valves, acute myocardial infarctions, and cardioembolic strokes. How are we going to monitor warfarin therapy? We monitor using PT, which stands for prothrombin time. And this looks at the extrinsic uh, cascade of clotting factors. Um, and we can also use INR, which stands for the International Normalized Ratio. This is a method that was developed um, to adjust for all of the various reagents that can be used. Each reagent is given an international sensitivity index. And then we use an equation that we don't need to know for the exam in order to adjust, so that no matter what reagent is being used, INR will be the same across the board. Our target INR ranges um, for almost everything is going to be 2 to 3, with a target goal of 2.5. This includes our targets for VTE treatment, VTE prophylaxis, AFib, heart attacks, valvular heart disease, prosthetic tissue valves. The only one that we need to know that is has a different target INR is for prosthetic mechanical heart valves. Our target here is 3.0 with our range being 2.5 to 3.5. Our INR goals will be adjusted for each patient depending on their bleeding and clotting events. So if they have clotting events while they're on warfarin, then their INR target will likely be higher meaning we want their blood to be thinner, whereas if they're having bleeding events, we'll want the target INR to be lower, uh, meaning that their blood will be thicker. Side effects related with warfarin are bleeding, skin necrosis, and fetal warfarin syndrome. Obviously, then, uh, warfarin is considered triadogenic, especially so in the first trimester. Patients have varied responses to warfarin, and these are due to a host of factors, including drug-drug interactions. Again, it's metabolized by CYP3A4 and 2C9, so it interacts with a whole host of drugs. Um, it also can interact with foods, so those rich in vitamin K. But it's important that patients um, are not told, again, are not told to avoid foods containing vitamin K. Um, what we really want them to do, however, is just eat a consistent diet. So one of the foods really heavy in vitamin K are going to be dark leafy greens. So we want to make sure that over the course of the week, 
Um, their eating of those is consistent. We don't want them to just, you know, chow down on some spinach on Monday and then not have it the rest of the week because that can change their INR levels. Disease states also can change INRs um, and ha- cause different responses to warfarin. Um, things like this, things in this category include chronic liver disease and heart failure. And then alcohol has a really interesting impact on warfarin. If it's in acute ingestion, so like binging, then we see an increase in INR. But if you are chronically ingesting alcohol, so like a glass of wine or a beer um, every night after school or work, then we see a decrease in INR because the liver has been stimulated to create clotting factors. Pharmacogenomics is also um, kind of a newer area in regards to warfarin uh, pharmacology. And it looks at CYP2C9 variation and variation in um, VCORC1, V-K-O-R-C-1. And then there's a dosing website that takes these uh, genetic variations into account. But it's been shown that just your run-of-the-mill everyday clinician um, who's working with warfarin can adjust doses um, the same way or very similar to these pharmacogenomic programs um, and does it faster and cheaper. Um, So there really isn't a whole lot of benefit to using pharmacogenomics at this point in time. Guideline recommendations when it comes to warfarin therapy, um, they recommend a lower initial dose in patients who are elderly, debilitated, or have those genetic variants, um, if you know about them ahead of time. And if you get abnormal labs back, something that's way outside of what you expected, um, they recommend that you get those labs redone. Um, It's also important that we counsel patients on adherence at each and every visit, um, because adherence to warfarin is really important. Uh, When we're looking at initiation of therapy with warfarin, there's no loading dose. And we do something that's called flexible initiation. So we start with a 5 milligram dose if they're at a high bleed risk. Then we'll start them at the lower dose of 2.5 milligrams once a day. And if they're at a really low bleed risk, we can even increase that to 7.5 to 10 milligrams. And from there, we adjust based on the INR values. Um, to, and just a reminder that it takes two days to see an effect of a dose. It takes about seven to 13 days, so anywhere from one to two weeks, to reach steady state. When we're looking then at maintenance dosing, we look at their weekly total dose. So we no longer go day by day, we go by week. And we want to adjust by no more than 10 to 20% of the dose that they're currently on per week. We want to get an INR at each visit, and we want to counsel patients not to double up on any missed doses, but that they should call um, either their anticoag clinic um, or whatever provider is overseeing their anticoagulation if they do miss a dose. Some important patient education to bring up um, are just symptoms of bleeding and clotting events, um, and also just to discuss drug-drug interactions and their importance. Um, so that they can inform providers and pharmacists of any changes to their meds, whether they're going on new meds or coming off meds. Warfarin reversal is another important aspect we need to talk about. 
When a patient's INR is between 4 and 10, but they're not bleeding, what we do then is we just hold their therapy, and then we'll adjust their dose. If their INR is greater than 10 and they're not bleeding, we'll use an oral, oral vitamin K. And if they um, are having bleed events, then we'll use IV vitamin K because it's, takes, it's a faster effect than oral vitamin K. For urgent reversal, we can use fresh frozen plasma or prothrombin complex concentrates or recombinant factor uh, 7A. All of these are just to replace the clotting factors so that the bleed will clot over um, and thus stop the bleeding. IV vitamin K leads to a decrease in INR within about two hours, but at 24 hours after giving the dose, five milligrams of oral vitamin K and one milligram of IV vitamin K have the same effect on INR. Vitamin K doses greater than 10 to 15 milligrams may cause warfarin resistance for up to seven days. So warfarin is that vitamin K antagonist. So we can overwhelm the warfarin by giving vitamin K, but then we have to wait for the vitamin K to go away before warfarin can have an action again. And we give IV vitamin K as a slow IV infusion. So you heard me talk about that prothrombin complex concentrate. Their brand name here is Kcentra. And we want to avoid using this in patients with heparin-induced thrombocytopenia. And it does contain the vitamin K-dependent factors. So these are going to be clotting factor 2, 7, 9, 10. And then it also has protein C in it and protein S. And we dose in units of factor 9 uh, per kilogram of body weight. So if their INI is between 2 to 4, then our dose is going to be 25 units per kilogram with a max of 2,500 units. If the patient's INR is 4 to 6, then our dose is 35 units per kilogram um, with a max of 3,500 units. And if INR is greater than 6, then we have a dose of 50 units per kilogram with a max of 5,000 units. And usually we'll administer 5 to 10 milligrams of IV vitamin K along with this K-Centra. And it's also important to note that we don't repeat K-Centra dosing. Kcentra is better than, um, vitamin K are better than fresh frozen plasma for the rapid reduction of INR without increasing the risk of bleeding. This is because there's a lot less fluid overload. Uh, fresh frozen plasma, in order to get the amount of clotting factors needed, you have to give a lot of it, and that can lead to fluid overload. Um, it's also more readily accessible than fresh frozen plasma. Um, and as well as having less risk of infections and transfusion reactions. You don't have to wait for fresh frozen plasma to thaw out. Um, you don't have to worry about any kind of contamination from blood donors. Um, but the important thing to note about Kcentra is that it hasn't been studied in patients that have had a blood clot in the past three months. That sums up all of what we need to know about warfarin therapy. Um, so this is also going to be for exam one.